0: Welcome to Cali Made Us Do It, a podcast on culture, social issues, and trends, rocking our worlds through our three different lenses, with your hosts, Alexander Tennant, Kristen Tony, and Jody Moore-Lewis. Uh, it was cool. I mean, I didn't go to the Derby.
1: The Derby is on May 1st. Um, I went to go see them practice, so that was fun. It was cool for my dad to see them. My dad was like, oh, we got to go. He's excited. So I think he's going to try. We're going to try to go one of these years. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Super fun. It was super cool. It was really early. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> we did watch uh, Concrete Cowboys last night. Oh, yeah. You told me. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Well, I texted you and my friends watched it
1: oh. and, be- and
0: messaged me about it because of your recommendation. Um, Aww. but yeah, we actually watched it last night. It was, it was sweet. It was like, mm-hmm. wanna, I mean, like it sucks what's happening. So I feel like the term feel good movie isn't like the exact <laughs> description, but like, it made me feel like empowered or like hopeful in, I mean- in a way because, but like, yeah, you're right. Like I learned so much, like they're, they've black cowboys have never been represented until literally right now hmm
1: I mean, not even these are we're, what we're talking about now are like, you know, black people and like concrete cowboys are like black people in the hood that also like found a way to, you know, uh, be a cowboy, you know, um, which really and really it was really challenging for them, like super challenging. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 cool. Uh, you know, my dad. It was just cool to see my dad, like, on TV. Like, he is from the hood, and he is a cowboy. We watched
2: it on Saturday, and, yeah, it was really amazing. I looked up the director, actually, I don't know if you guys looked into the director at all, but super amazing guy. I'll have to find his name, but he like hired, he started a production company and he hires Mm ex-felons to work on his movies, um, which is like my dream. That's cool. That's really cool. Ricky Staub is his name. Yeah. He is, he has like a really, really amazing story. Um, but yeah, we absolutely loved it. I still think I don't I don't really know how I feel <laughs> and I've kind of gone back and forth with this about black British actors for to tell black American stories. <laughs> um, love Idris. he's amazing, but I'm just gonna
0: it, yeah, I especially when these delicious roles unfortunately aren't as available to the black actors that's when it's like okay well
2: (laughs) yeah it's like uh, you know at what point do like does the american black experience you know told by black americans who have experienced it and that's not to say i mean obviously racism exists in the uk and all over the world um they've had a their own different you know, experiences, but it's just interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: I do have something to bring up about the UK now that we're on the UK. (laughs) So we, so Prince Philip just died, right? And, um, and I've been obsessed with like the monarchy, not that I'm, I'm not a pro monarchy person. Like I feel like if I was a Londoner or Englander, an English person, I would be against them. But I'm just obsessed with learning about them. And I freaking love The Crown and Princess Diana. So obviously, I've been following the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry thing. And they did not fly back for the funeral because of her pregnancy. I think she's seven and a half months pregnant. But she did fly to New York for a baby shower. So I just wanted to know what y'all thought because – Obviously, the backlash against Meghan Markle, I think, is super cruel and unfair and exposes a lot of that racism. But I have also heard that the queen was good to her because the monarchy in general isn't just the queen. It's like. The institution. The institution. So I was like, I wonder why they didn't fly back for his grandpa's funeral.
2: (laughs) There's a scissor song, a scissor song. That says, never going back, never going back. <laughs> and that, that's, I think, Megan's theme song. She's not She's not going back. Yeah. I think it's yeah. scary for her life. Like, I don't... I mean, after seeing what they did to Diana, I don't know if it's safe for her there,
0: physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they took those rights away when they moved. Like, I think that, you know, they're probably
2: physical threats on their life yeah I don't know I don't know that I would if people were threatening me the way that they were threatening Mm
1: her I also feel like when you're pregnant like and it's not just her a lot of us deal with like stress and family and when you're pregnant you're trying to avoid all stress um because that could lead to like Term- terminating your pregnancy. So I just, uh, I mean, we may never know. But like, all we know is like, what she came out and said is like, that she didn't feel comfortable there. So yeah, if I was seven months pregnant, and I didn't feel comfortable going somewhere, I probably wouldn't go either.
0: Yeah, the tabloids would have just been all surrounding her. And then, of course, like, she can't do anything right. She feels comfortable seeing trusted friends in New York. But She's not going to fly across the country to a place that ostracized her. And her, you and know? her son, like, I'm, you know, you
2: can come after me, but coming after my kids is most moms I think would be like, absolutely not, <laughs> you know, like you can't come after my baby for any reason. So I, I completely understand it. I don't really see them going back there, you know, maybe when the queen passes cause she is a bigger deal. I, I don't know. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's really sad. Cause those are the times that, and you can tell, you know, I watched clips of the procession and you could tell the emotion, I think from William and Harry and how he talked about his grandfather and their supposed relationship with each other. That's hard. That's the time that you do want family there, but you know, you have this one part of your family that your, your wife, your spouse, and your child, and they're not accepted. Like, plus you lose somebody that you love. Like, it's got to be really hard.
0: Yeah. That's my like, biggest thing about the monarchy is I just feel, because even Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip, like, obviously there's, they're still, the institution is in their head. And granted, I'm just coming from like Hollywood's, <laughs> Hollywood's perception of it. But like when I was watching The Crown and like the first two seasons are so good with Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth, but she was so young given all this responsibility and you have to do basically what ev- everything's expected of you. And then you start to become it. And then that passes on to the next generation and the next generation. And it's like the cycle never breaks because no one stands up against it. And um, I mean, that's racism too, right? And that's government and and I just feel like the monarchy is this big emblazoned like, (laughs) like museum or like token of what that is and what we should not do. So like, why are we still continuing to feed it so it it's just the that vicious cycle of people not wanting the change but allowing things to continue the way they are and then it just keeps getting worse and hurting people and hurting children yeah i think that especially that age like the age
1: that she is i think that a lot of them just did what they were told to do. This is the way it's supposed to be. Why change anything? And they just go through the motions. I don't have it. I haven't seen The Crown. Um, I've only heard, like, I've seen the interview with Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry. And honestly, it to me, it just sounds like, you know, she's supposed to do whatever everybody else tells her to do, wave and say hi. And I, I did watch like a, there's a documentary on Netflix and I have to get the name of it. Uh, there's a bunch of documentaries out there about them, but I was watching one where it went through the history of of what happened. And at one point um, they started becoming The monarchy of the people so they started going and shaking hands and waving and being so to me I feel like what the Queen is is the face of whatever the hell is going on. To me it's a total conspiracy, based off of what the documentary that I've seen the documentaries i've seen in the interview of how they don't talk explicitly they say the institution it's not the queen, you know, it's like just certain things that, you know, you, you feel like they can't really say much, but they said a lot, a lot. And the way that the top people praise them for speaking out against whatever was going, is going on. I mean, it speaks value. So I don't want to be one of those deep state people. Cause you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, whatever people control, whatever we can't do anything about it, but it doesn't seem to me like she has very much power to me like it seems like they're kind of the face but i also thought that about the president until trump um came into office and um and that view has
0: changed so i don't know but also that was why diana was so um scandalous because she even spoke out even more and like hugged people and shook their hands even more so and that was like you can't be doing that and that's why she was like the princess of the people too but I think she sadly she's still not here but I think she did pave a way and maybe hopefully Meghan and Harry will pave a new way for their future uh for the future generations if the monarchy is still standing then but
1: Harry and uh, when Harry was talking you could see that like you know sometimes when people grow up in it they don't you don't really notice it um I think that we've probably all probably because we moved away from home and went back we probably all saw something different at home that you're like hey that's not like (laughs) that's different from how every like other people you know like you know so I'm saying like like even like religion like just something as basic as religion it's really hard to see any other side if you grow up in it and I think what happened with Harry was that he married outside of it and he was like oh so this isn't normal oh so oh wait so this is how like like oh you get to you get to make your own decisions you don't have to so I, I feel like I don't know it's all conspiracy this is Kristen's conspiracy guy <laughs> I'm gonna start my own conspiracy uh reddit. But yeah. I also my favorite one of my favorite movies is Roman Holiday. So that might have influenced it too. Because in that movie, the bitch had no say so and she was just like, I want to
0: get out. So Oh, goodness. I love it. Well, would you cancel the monarchy since we're doing cancel culture today? That's a I mean, good question. I can't
1: cancel them.
2: That's a really good question. Um I like, like you said, Jody. you know, there's obviously and I um, I wouldn't say an insider's view but my husband lived in the UK for about 12 years um, so I have I guess a, a interesting perspective from him and what other people in. he's not um wasn't born there. So he didn't really grow up with those traditions, but you know, he has been around it. And I like was really interested to learn like they the people there, there's people that like love them and they like, they're like really, really obsessed. Like, you know, kind of like, you you know, they, they love that they have a monarch and the, the royal family. And then there's people that hate them and, um, kind of getting an understanding of like what they do and what they don't do, what they control and what they don't control. Um, I don't know because we don't have one here, you know, it's hard to be like, it's hard to say like somebody else's tradition, you know, should be destroyed and should be gone, whether or not I think that like it's necessary or not. Um, but I do, you know, historically what they've stood for <laughs> around the world has been damaging. I mean, it's been really, really damaging to the entire world, you know, they. They're mark that, no, I'm not necessarily talking about this particular family, like the Windsor family. I mean, this has gone back for centuries, but um, that's a really interesting question. Like, should they still be around? Should they be disbanded? Like, is it, you know, is it a critical part of British culture that that British people because of their ancestry deserve to have? That's it's a heart. No, answer. I know. I don't, I don't know. But I just
0: look at all those houses and I'm like, tax money, man. <laughs> For real. Like I mean, you, get, you get that. <laughs> you get I, seven of those.
1: <laughs> I mean, they're what I will say, like, I don't know that we can say it's really their ancestors because there were many countries that were seized during, uh, queen the queen's lifetime so i think
0: they're technically like german Mm -hmm. the the Uh, current uh the current family
2: but i'm talking about like british people being like having a monarchy is completely part of my culture my tradition Mm -hmm. like it's you know in this this land or whatever like that's what we do that's my culture that's my tradition you know like i for me i'm like who am i to say that that's not your thing, you know, like, and that you shouldn't have that. Like, I'm black, we have our culture. I'm Jewish. We have, you know, centuries of of culture and tradition. So I I don't know, it's, I don't know what that means if they're, you know, disbanded.
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I mean, I don't think anybody in America, I mean, we can't cancel them because we don't subscribe to anything but the news. Right. Like. <laughs> What?
0: The Queen's cousin slash husband died? I will subscribe to more seasons of The Crown. Although <laughs> I did hear they're they're going to probably end on the... Like, they're not going to go all the way to, like, Meghan Markle. I think they're going to maybe end soon. I think it's just getting a little too close to home. I was going to say that's probably a smart decision because... I don't know. Maybe yeah. go
2: out on top and not get canceled. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah.
0: Speaking of that, (laughs) let's get into canceling. Oh, sweet cancel culture. Cancel culture is a hot topic. In 2020, it took even more of a spotlight, putting everyone's words, moves, and past under a microscope. We are here to break it down for you with our three takes on cancel culture. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) So what exactly is cancel culture? I found a wonderful article in Vox, which obviously we'll put in in the show notes. They put it plainly, it's a celebrity or other public figure that does or says something offensive. Then a public backlash, often fueled by politically progressive social media, ensues. Then comes the call to cancel the person, that is to effectively end their career or revoke their cultural cachet whether through boycotts of their work or disciplinary action from an employer. So that's the, you know, logistics of cancel culture. But obviously we know the social media aspect where we see it and witness it. And I wanna know if you remember your first time or maybe one of the incidents of cancel culture that put it on the map for you or made you realize, oh shit, this is big.
2: I can't remember the exact moment or instance or person where I heard the phrase cancel culture, but I do kind of remember starting to see it on Twitter, you know, three or four years ago, maybe around 2017 when the Me Too movement was, you know, really at its peak. Yeah, I just remember, you know, seeing tweets of people calling out celebrities and calling out politicians and calling for others to uh, to take their money away from uh, certain brands or certain companies or to stop you know watching certain films with actors in them or listening to certain music Um, so it it was kind of like a call to action online um, the first time that i really realized it was happening uh, to bring awareness to certain things that people were saying or doing in the public eye
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to think of like the first time that I've heard of cancel culture. Now that I think about it, um, I do remember when Trayvon, the Trayvon Martin thing happened. I remember somebody that I want to say that owned like the companies that made like tissue paper, like toilet paper and like I guess he like paid for I think he paid for I have to go look it up but I think he paid for like his lawyers and stuff like he was supporting uh George Zimmer- Zimmerman. Mm. So I think I was on Twitter when that happened and I think there was a big like push to stop using who whatever his products are. I should probably look up who that guy was but yeah.
0: Yeah. I well, that's either way, it's the product that matters kind of right? <laughs> yeah. That's Basically, cancel culture, it sounds super trendy, but it started from a misogynistic joke back in 1991, the film New Jack City, in which Wesley Snipes plays a gangster named Nino Brown. And there's a scene after his girlfriend breaks down because of all the violence. He's a violent person. But he basically doesn't like that she's breaking down in front of him. So he dumps her saying, cancel that bitch. I'll buy another one. New Jack City was written by Barry Michael Cooper. He wrote the screenplay. So in 2010, almost a decade later, Lil Wayne referenced the film in a line from his song, I'm Single. Yeah, I'm Single. Had to cancel that bitch like Nino. Callback. Sexist. (laughs) Cancel joke. Then there was VH1's reality show, Love and Hip Hop New York. In December 2014, Cisco Rosado tells his love interest Diamond Strawberry during the fight you're canceled. So it definitely within the past 20 years has been in mainstream media and these incidents are, are, are depicted in a way that's visual, but kind of in a comedic way as well. But, um, from the same Vox article I mentioned earlier They speak about how cancel culture arose with Black culture and appears to channel Black empowerment movements as far back as the civil rights boycotts of the 1950s and 60s. Anne Charity Hudley, who's a chair of Linguistics of African America for the University of California, Santa Barbara, told Vox, while the terminology of cancel culture may be new and most applicable to social media through Black Twitter, in particular, the concept of being canceled is not new to black culture. So she describes canceling as a survival skill as old as the Southern black use of the boycott. And I just wanted to ask both of you being as we have seen more so this trendy side of cancel culture or using it as like a hot word, um, as black women, does that reshape your view on cancel culture in today's world knowing its true origins and roots maybe not the nino brown version but the the boycotts of the civil rights movements
1: i don't know if it like changed my views of it but um i think that the original purpose of it i think i get when it comes to people's livelihoods or you know like you know, like, things that real, like, kind of, I don't want to say matter, because everything matters, but I think that it doesn't change my view of how, where cancel culture has become, but I definitely understand the origin and uh, appreciate the origin and wish that we could carry out what it originated from when it's, like, taking money from people who uh, want to impose on people's lives, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, Jodi, thank you so much for for giving us that background. And I actually, I didn't know the origins and I hadn't ever really associated it back to the civil rights movement before, but it makes so much sense when you say it and when you explain its origins and empowerment. Obviously, you know, we'll, pro- we'll talk about it a little later, but um, I have really mixed feelings about cancel culture. But when I think of it as a tool for empowerment and a tool to give a voice to the voiceless, I totally get it. And it does make me look at things now and look at what's happening online and on social media with cancel culture in kind of a, a different way. You know, I'm seeing people from all over the world that normally their opinions wouldn't be heard by anybody. Um, having a platform to express how they feel about the culture that they're consuming so it's definitely it's definitely really important um and i think you know we'll talk and get into how it can be used for good and how it can be used for evil um, and how it's a really important tool for us all to kind of understand and be talking about right now
0: what i find very interesting about cancel culture. I, it, I feel like it's used a lot in progressive circles. Obviously, we see it on the internet. It's a way for people to kind of, I think Ayesha Camby, who had a video go viral about the problem with wokeness. Um, she did a wonderful video that Alex shared with me that I got to watch. She spoke in Australia to at a women's event talking about it. And she was sort of describing it as progressives trying to show how woke they are, which is why nobody's kind of safe on the internet because they're got Everything's going to be a problem because we all don't experience the same things and it's fueled with passion and emotion and anger. And, but that doesn't necessarily always give a solution on how to evolve. But so it's like a very progressive mentality and us being, I feel like progressive women in the United States, we still see the dangers of it. You look, take a conservative viewpoint, you hear, we have heard the conservatives speak out against cancel t- culture so many times because they're terrified of it. But it's just very interesting that it is typically used and on a progressive platform. And I just thought that dichotomy was really interesting to kind of discuss. Like why do, why do we think it is more progressive and the progressives are causing a sense of danger within the cancel culture reality versus conservatism, which has their own dangers in a way. But they're against against this trend.
2: That's a really important distinction, Jody. And um, it's really interesting because you asked, "How do we feel as women?" And I feel like historically, uh, women tend to be more progressive and when I think about women within the cancel culture space, it almost does benefit us more than any other group, right? Um, Women and any kind of minority or anybody within the LGBTQ plus community. um, In historically spaces where our voices haven't been heard and our opinions haven't been taken seriously and our claims haven't been validated, cancel culture has almost given us an avenue or, or a way to express things that traditionally we wouldn't be able to express. Like, as, you know, if you take the Me Too movement, as an example, you know, women coming out about their bosses for decades, for years, for even centuries, women could make claims against men that were never taken seriously. And then in the 21st century, you have cancel culture come in and say, hey, your voice is being heard we're all going to support you. We also have the same experience and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. Um, So just as women have always been a threat to the status quo and women are traditionally progressive, I think it all kind of falls in line and correlates with each other. And it makes sense that progressives would be supporters of cancel culture and conservatives that want to Uh, maintain what has traditionally been done or thought of as as normal and acceptable wouldn't like it and would really um, fight hard against it.
1: Sorry can you repeat the question?
0: (laughs) Yes ma'am I can. Um, Well I was just kind of talking about how we have cancel culture is used a lot by progressive people or people mm-hmm. who maybe think they're progressive and quote unquote woke, but it causes kind of a danger of not allowing people to speak their mind or mm-hmm. fueling up, digging up the past. So we have cancel culture, which can be, I think Alex has kind of explained some of the good parts of it mm-hmm. that can be good, but also kind of dangerous with, depending on what the accusations are, so we have that group of progressives like super mixed with like within the cancel culture idea. And then we have the conservatives completely against cancel culture. Probably for the reasons that we sort of are against cancel culture in a way. And I just thought that was interesting that there's the mix within the progressive group for cancel culture, against cancel culture, and then just the conservatives against it and how that kind of intermingles.
1: Okay, so yeah, I, I kind of think that that's expected um like conservative conservatives for in our country for the most part is people that you know like they like tradition and they like to keep things the same they don't like to progress right so they're usually the majority they're usually uh like not and i whenever i speak i'm not speaking in whole of any group but for the most part the majority of their party is of they have a voice and progressives if they do have a voice they are speaking for the voiceless so of course conservatives are against it because it's nothing no one they're not conservatives speak for the tradition of the country and the way that it was made the good and the bad so the progressives Some of them are like, okay, well, we got to, some of them, I feel, my personal opinion is a lot of progressives know where conservatives come from, or, you know, they're like the newly progressive people or the people that are first generation progressive or whatever the case may be. They know how conservatives work and they know how, so they're kind of on, they have a moderate mindset, but they're not moderates, if that makes sense. So they're like, you got to let people grow. Or they were people that did change. A lot of, and a lot, all of us, you know, I think I'm rambling, but we'll be able to cut it. (laughs) But all of, I feel like everybody, everyone's different from, like, have different views from when they were 18 to when they were 30. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like there are people in the progressive movement the older people in the progressive movement that are like, okay, but well, we gotta allow for a change. We can't just assume that someone thinks the same way that they did 20 years ago. And then there's the people in the the progressives that's like, well, that shit hasn't worked <laughs> for hundreds of years and it's it's progressing too slowly. It's kind of like impatient. Like I need you to stop killing us now, which I get. Like I get I get both sides of the progressives that, uh, both agree and disagree with cancel culture.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting because it's not as black and white as we think. Like there's so much gray area and Aaron Rose is quoted, um, who's a corporate diversity and inclusion consultant in this Vox article, which just gave a plethora of information, but, um, Aaron says mainstream internet activism is a lot of calling out and blaming and shaming. We have to get honest with ourselves about whether calling out and canceling gives us more than a short-term release of cathartic anger. He says he now wants to create more stories of transformation rather than stories of punishment and excommunication. The difference between expecting amends and never letting a wound close between expressing your rage and identifying with it forever. And Charity Hudley who I mentioned earlier, responded to that quote. and She says, I get that, but that's a really middle-class white privilege way of coming at this. From my point of view for black culture and cultures of people who are lower income and disenfranchised, this is the first time you do have a voice in those types of conversations. And Alex, I think you uh, sort of pointed that out. It's kind of a way of the oppressed to have a voice and to attack those in power you know, with the frustrations and, and these people who have had a lack of consequences. So kind of going on with this progressive idea of cancel culture, do you think this middle-class white privilege way of handling it, is that kind of the danger of cancel culture? Is it sort of erasing what cancel culture truly means and what it's trying to accomplish? Yeah, I
2: <laughs> I just think it's complicated, and I, I wanted to go back and kind of, um, not correct, but kind of clarify what I was saying earlier. I, I do think that it's a powerful um, tool, but I also do believe that it can be a weapon, um, like you said. Cancel culture is just so, so tricky because you know, and I'm not sure that it would be if we didn't have social media where information spreads like wildfire. Uh, It'd be interesting to kind of do a simulation of cancel culture back in the 90s, where maybe someone was canceled through, you know, Tiger Beat and a Cosmopolitan magazine and, you know, radio that we listen to all the time. Now you have um, this kind of, um, I'm not sure what the exact term is, but it's like flock mentality. It's crowd mentality, right? One person gets really amped up about something and then all of these other people follow because they feel like their ideals and their values align, but it, it might not necessarily really align with what you believe. You just <laughs> are really energized by, by the thought of being right and, and by the feeling of power that, that this particular phrase gives you. But yeah, I I do see it easily being weaponized. Um, And we see it all the time. You know, the three of us talk a lot about like, oh, well, someone's canceled. But, you know, I don't don't really know if, you know, my moral gauge says it's that bad or my moral compass, (laughs) you know, like I, I don't really know if my moral compass follows actually canceling them. I think that they made a mistake or they misspoke, but quote unquote canceling out their entire career is... Or their entire reputation can be really, really dangerous. And we're looking at, you know, I in the present time, I really associate cancel culture with really, really young people that don't have fully formed brains <laughs> yet, you know, or or <laughs> it's it's scientifically true, it's fine, um, or you know, just not enough life experience to make fully formed decisions or to be able to gather all the information before passing that information on. They have the world at their fingertips and they're able to influence their friends and they're able to influence their communities online of these ideas that you know, they don't have all of the information for. Um, so yeah, I think it, that, that side of the current state of cancel culture is, is dangerous and a little bit scary.
1: I absolutely agree. I think that um, I'm all for it when it's warranted, but too often we see people who get canceled for misspeaking and anyone on earth, everyone I know personally has misspoke before and had to clarify what they meant, you know, Um, and I think that canceling out everything, like certain people who like have worked hard to fight against oppression and they accidentally say like misspeak in a way and then all of a sudden they like are racist or homophobes or, you know, and it's just like, that's not like, they've been working on the back end for years, like trying to, so we're gonna just cancel every good they did because of them, because they misspoke. I think it says a lot, I think we need to allow people to misspeak and then when they come back and say that's not what I meant we have to give them a chance if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah there was a wonderful um Amanda Seals her small doses podcast she had an episode on cancel culture and I loved her points of views kind of Kristen what you're saying, like, we're not allowing people to evolve. She mentions like, she doesn't know where her career would be if she didn't have a chance to like stumble and fall and pick herself back up and someone to call her out, but for her to grow. And she mentions kind of how we're in a society that's just very disposable. Like, like all of our social media, you can like just literally ghost people. You can swipe right or left, whatever dating app, like, the direction is meant to be just to say, no, no, no. Like you can literally cut people out of your lives incredibly easy. So we have this disposable mentality with the, with just replacing people, replacing a new thing. Even if you want a new object at home, you just get it on Amazon. You get it in an hour. Like that's how we treat human beings. And she mentions that she doesn't know if like people are replaceable. She gives the example of Toni Morrison and how profound and prolific she is for our society and for Black culture and as an author and writer and woman and American. And she is like, what if Toni Morrison, what if someone was like, you're canceled and she didn't create the art that she did that has moved us and and uplifted us. And I just thought that was a very interesting way to think about it. Like, are we suffocating the great minds to evolve? And, um, there was that Sarah Silverman snippet from her podcast where she talks about one of her past friends who wasn't neo-Nazi. He was pushed to the extreme because he wasn't loved and how he's fortunately came back to the, to the good side. The sane side is no longer there, but she talks about that fear of extremism. Like people still need to be loved. And in some sort of community. And if they're excavated, then where are they going to seek solace? It's not really a question, but more like if you guys (laughs) want to add.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I agree with both of you and, um, you know, I think about this a lot. I think about, um, you know, how hard, We all work how hard we've worked behind the scenes on this podcast and on our other projects. And, you know, I play those scenarios through my head, like saying the wrong thing or, you know, like an old tweet when I was 19 years old coming up that that was just ignorant and dumb and off the cuff and thinking about how all of the work I've put in behind the scenes and... (laughs) (laughs) all of the work that I've put in behind the scenes and um, the things that I've put out into the world can just be wiped away because I hurt somebody. Um, I think, you know, and maybe this is naive. I think most people's intention isn't to hurt other people. I think there's a really clear distinction between somebody saying something um, and being canceled for it. So whether it's a tweet or it's in an interview, and then someone actually taking an action. You know, I think there's a distinction between somebody uh, sexually abusing or physically abusing or harassing somebody, and someone that may have expressed a thought or a feeling that was hurtful. Both of them are are really hurtful. I think one is really predatory, and and unsafe and and very dangerous. I think the other one is um, probably, like you said, fixable. I think it's something that you know, once the person is called out, they should have an opportunity to evolve. But I I think that this kind of overreaching solution of just canceling somebody, you know, go home, you shouldn't have anything that you have worked hard and earned. Um, You know, you shouldn't be able to make any money, you shouldn't be able to live a life without someone heckling you down the street. It's just so extreme. And I feel like all of us all the time are right on the verge of it. Because again, there's the, you have whole communities at your fingertips now, and you can share information, you can share videos, um, and people don't have the full context, and people aren't allowed to even explain themselves these days. It's so tricky um, to, to decide. And then it's the next question is, okay, who gets to decide, right? <laughs> you know, is it, is it a group of people on Twitter? Is it like a, um, you know, the constituents of a politician who, who actually decides who's canceled or not? And then, you know, in what ways do we show our support or lack thereof for someone? Do we stop watching every movie that one person is in I know there's a, a very famous actor that I used to be a huge fan of Kevin Spacey and growing up I like <laughs> it was so weird for a little kid to like be a fan of Kevin Spacey right but I really admired his acting and I just remember feeling super heartbroken when the allegations against him came out because he was one of the one of my artistic heroes that I watched and I, I see his movies come up and I I, right now, can't bring myself to watch them. Um, I don't know exactly how his residuals work now or if he's getting any, you know, if he makes any profit off of them, but my moral compass isn't really allowing me right now to go to that place. Now, can I cancel him and disagree with him and still watch and consume his art? I don't know, you know, who's to decide? So, I think it's really tricky. I think it's not black and white, and there's a lot of gray area. Um, and we probably have to do a better job um, taking things on a case by case basis and looking at people's past patterns, looking at their past history when dealing with certain issues, and kind of gauging, I, I don't wanna say like the danger level, but <laughs> you know, like it, does the, asking ourselves if the punishment really fits the crime that's taken place.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's like your own, like, I feel like you're the one that chooses. And I know that we have to, for, like, come together. But at the end of the day, you can say, oh, we're canceling this person. And you can do what ever you want to do like and still say you've canceled that person. You can listen to the music, you can consume the art. You can like do anything you can literally you cannot change anything that you've done before and say and put out like, "Oh, he said this, he's canceled." You know what I'm saying? So honestly, I really do feel like it's you, you are the only person that can cancel something for you. So you can either join in on canceling somebody everybody has to make their own assumption and every uh, not assumption everybody has to make their own decision for themselves and at the end of the day when you lay your head dead at night you're the only one that has to deal with i supported a rapist i supported a a killer i supported a uh homophobe i supported like you're the only one that has to deal with it so if you go to sleep at night and you don't care then i feel like it is what it is you know what i'm saying like you can consume whatever you want i feel like if you want to make a if you want to have a voice uh stand by stand by the things that you that align with your views and also support the people that align with your views but at the end of the day i think it's a it's, it is your own choice and unfortunately everybody's not gonna make the same. Kristen
2: what I'm kind of hearing you say is like everybody needs to be able to set their own boundaries and gauge their own comfortability level. I think the question is like when you say support are we just talking about monetary means of support right? Like if you go over to a friend's house that has a streaming service and you watch a movie with somebody that was canceled like it's not money out of your pocket so you know I I I just think it's a complicated um thing that everybody has to I agree you have to kind of gauge for yourself um what you're okay with and and what you're not okay with
0: I think we need another episode on cancel culture I think we could continue to talk about this for sure yeah for sure um so Aisha Akambi, who I mentioned had the video earlier, um, she wrote a article in HuckMag about cancel culture, and I'll leave us with this. Where is the line between problematic and ignorance? Most people only care about what they believe affects them. It's what they'll have the most research on, the most experience with. But to insult someone who doesn't live your reality for failing to consider you is to oversimplify the human experience. Humiliating people for insensitive comments they made years ago denies the possibility of change. Do you have one, Jody? I do. I think I do. I think I do. Okay, go for it. Amigo first. Yeah. Hot gives. I feel like we need some (laughs) one of us to be like Hot gives. (laughs) Really <laughs> good. Throw some spice on it. I can no I can intro our hot gives. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Give, give us your sexiest hot gives voice.
2: So you've heard our hot takes. Now get ready for Callie Made Us Do It. Hot
0: Gives. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by <laughs> <Bye>. Cardi B. <laughs> I feel like she would have a great hot gives but for real I do have a hot give okay so for the past 12 weeks and when this airs it will be my last session but I've been doing a breath work shop breath work workshop (laughs) have y'all ever done any breath work exercises so it's active breathing Or you have Alex um yes
2: I've but just like inside timer YouTube no I've never taken like an a uh, course like official course.
1: Okay. And I've only I've only done the stress one, the breathe in for, hold for, breathe out for, hold for.
0: Nice. Okay. So there's this girl in LA, um, or woman in LA, her name's Clarissa Hoffman. And she's a fellow artist, but kind of like wanted to find her way into her body more as an artist and then found breath work really worked and then realized she had a knack of of doing it and wanted to lead more women and artists into like their empowerment. And I had done this one other time, which was a funny story because I went to like a sound bath moon circle. And I was like, Frankie, you're going to love it. You literally just lay there and listen to like the sound bath. But I didn't realize there was also breath work involved. And it was like 25 minutes of breath work. So this class, it's really nice. It's a very small group. We meet and we check in about the week And then she'll like guide us into the breath work so the idea is you're laying on a flat surface like your bed or your yoga mat like nothing's propped up you're completely flat. So you can uh, and you mouth breathe, so you it's open mouth breathing and you breathe into your belly into your chest and then you release and you just constantly do that, and I think. We end up doing like the full relaxation into the active breathing into like um a meditative state where we like come back home to ourselves into our body it's like a full hour and it's really it is really transformed the way i've like felt with my body the way i live throughout my day because i'm connected to my body and my breath more And it brings up these sensations and like you're doing it and you're listening to this music. There have been times where like I've just bawled. There have been times where I have like uncontrollably been laughing. There have been like times where I've needed to like wrap up in a blanket and then like I just feel like this release, like this warmth sensation afterwards. And um, I feel re-energized sometimes, sometimes I feel like my body needs to be caretaken more, but like you really just become more in tune. And it's this really interesting detoxifying way to just come into what you're connecting with in this moment, like you're forced to be in the moment because you're actively breathing versus I feel like sometimes in meditation your mind can easily wander. So it's about coming back home. But this like you really don't have time to wander like you're just in it. And you're in this like wave of flow. So I've been doing it for 12 weeks. And sometimes I don't really have a profound change. But sometimes I do. And I think that's the point. But I just wanted to recommend breath work and learning about it because a we breathe every day. And it's our life source. It's like our vitality. And I think we take it for granted. And it's just a way to self-care and reconnect with yourself. And I've really loved her guiding us through it because she'll speak kind of like when you're in a spin class and you're listening to like, really like pump, pump up music. And that's kind of like the idea of this, where she's like guiding you through this empowering music and like you can do it. Keep breathing. What are you feeling right now? And like just guiding you along this journey. So um, I'm excited to continue the lessons, but also maybe do like another workshop. So and that's the great thing about Zoom right now. It's on Zoom. It's not in person. So you can do this from wherever, like take advantage if there's someone you've been wanting to take a class with to to do it and to make it and and to and to do something for yourself. That is so awesome.
2: Um, is this something that we're going to be able to partake in with wild heart, um, collective because sounds like definitely something I'd be interested in. (laughs) So I actually
0: non shameless plug (laughs) wild heart collective is, um, my friend Emily and I's, uh, we do like moon circles and women's empowerment groups. So we just officially branded ourselves. So that's what Alex is shouting out because you all know she is the best hype girl. Hey. Um, possibly, I, I'm interested in bringing other types of people in to allow like our all of our growth and to have different insights and stuff. So, you know, maybe when there's an awesome air sign because air and breath kind of, I think, go together, we'll do something. I love, I love that. There was a guy on The
1: Circle, The Circle episode season two just started, by the way, and he does breath work for a living. So I actually just saw it last night. So that was funny. I had to turn on some mindless stuff, you know, but it was great. He was very positive and hippie like it was great.
0: Love that. Yeah. Wait, do you know what his name is? Oh, I
1: don't know. I can't lie. I didn't look into it. him. But, <laughs> That's fine. But you're still but, like. But yesterday i found out that breath work was a career so that's what i was saying basically
0: <laughs> yeah i think it's really cool that we're seeing more people step into these types of empowering ways for us to like we, we've always done workshops about the external how to get here in our career how to develop our career how to make more money how to work out and have a better body but like it's really cool that people are like, actually, like it all starts within, let's start allowing people to take those tools. And if I can facilitate that, I just think, well, the well buzzword wellness is changing. And it's not necessarily like external, but more internal. And I think that's really cool. So I'll link Clarissa's details in the show notes, because you don't have to be right now a LA local to use her. But also I suggest like looking up to see Obviously it's, it is a career like Kristen's saying, she's learning about new people doing this career. So maybe there's some people in your community that you can link up with, because I think it's very transformative. And even like when you don't want to do it, cause she has us do it by ourselves a couple of times throughout the week. It just re even for doing it for like three songs versus six songs, like it just re energizes you and sets you up in a different way.
2: Yeah, the mind body connection, I think we can all agree is totally undeniable, you know, like they're so intertwined. And yeah, I love that our generation and um, and the younger generation is kind of like, tuning into that now. And, And we're, we're incorporating it into our everyday lives. And I think that's something that's really great that you're doing, Jody, is kind of, you know, helping people incorporate these things into their everyday lives. So, you know, you don't you don't give up a part of your life. It's really like an addition. It's really making your life more full. Um, you know, we live in this capitalist society where you know, it's we're told that full lives mean having more things, you know, like the more things you have, the better your life is. Um, but that work is that inner work is so, so, so important in um, you know, helping people get there and helping people find ways that you know feel good to each of us individually to incorporate into our lives is just so important so
0: hype girl thanks for that give you are welcome i love giving you things (laughs) i love taking (laughs) well what can i take from you
2: ladies um i'll go uh this is another you guys are probably like all you guys ever do is watch tv and lately that's been true for me because that's all that i've really been able to do um but my give this week is another documentary like Kristen said netflix has some amazing documentaries and we just love watching all of them pretty much um but i last night i was watching a spectacular documentary it's called coded bias Um, it is on netflix and it follows a brilliant black female researcher at mit Um, who explores artificial intelligence and how algorithms really affect and control our lives and the unconscious biases that are programmed into these algorithms by the people who make them, which are mainly, you know, white men, um, and how, how they really are starting to affect our present lives and how they're going to affect our future. Super fascinating. Anybody that is interested in um, tech um, and just even, you know, she what she really explores are the social consequences of our lives kind of being run by algorithm and being run online via social media, via, you know, Getting credit card applications, getting approved for homes, um, security things. What you know? What's going on in Hong Kong? Facial recognition. I mean, there there's so many topics that she explores, and she also explores the fact that she is a this black scientist, and you know how she's often discredited. Her work is discredited and the implications of that. It's just, it's really fascinating. I know that I need to watch it twice, <laughs> um, you know, because there, there's just so much information and so much to wrap your head around. We kind of use the internet now and we use social media. It's, it's like a second limb for us, right? Like, it's, it's something that all of us use every single day, we're using it right now. They're very, very small parts of our day, if any that we're not using some kind of technology. Um, So it's so deeply embedded in our everyday lives and we rarely think of the consequences of it. And we rarely think of like who the the people that are behind it and what that means for these computers that are making decisions for our lives. Um, So it's, uh, I wouldn't say heavy, it's, it's really, really interesting, I think, and um, gives you really good things to think about in terms of the future of our our planet and the future of humanity and, and how technology, the influence that technology really, really has on um, social justice and um, civil rights. So I would highly recommend it. Coded Bias, Netflix,
1: go watch it. I mean... Yeah, I've tried to get off of social media multiple times, but we, like everybody else, somebody, we have a business on there. You know, I have a business, the Mix and Master, like where I'm supposed to be posting. I don't do anything, but, you know, uh, but every time. Go
0: follow Mix and Master. He-
1: hilarious. <laughs> uh, shameless plug, Mix and Master Bar. Um, Lots of shameless plugs in these hot gives too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when when it comes to like social media, like they make it seem like you have to be on it. And I mean, it's kind of true when you like try to run your own business, so.
2: In this documentary, it really goes beyond social media. um you know, one of her case studies um, was this Brooklyn apartment complex that wanted to change their key fobs to facial recognition technology. And a lot of the tenants were trying to band together and stop them from using facial recognition technology because it's a way that they can start discriminating based on what you look like. Um, there was a person on there that had past crimes, you know, had had committed crimes when they were much, much younger. And you know, their information goes into this algorithm. And it can't be, you know, it's not It's not a person saying, okay, this, you know, person has been reformed, this person should be allowed to A, B, C, and D. It's just based on this computer and you can't, they can't change what's in the algorithm. I mean, there there are so many things that she, it really highlights, like I said before, what's going on in Hong Kong. And, you know, during their protests, they're like spraying the cameras They're using lasers so that the facial recognition technology can't identify the people that are protesting and arrest them. I mean, the social implications of artificial intelligence and of these algorithms is so much deeper than I ever understood. I was always kind of like, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't care about people having my information. I don't do anything. I don't, you know, I don't care if they see that I go to the beach or whatever. But when you really start thinking about the implications that they could just decide that I shouldn't ever be able to get a house, like based on an algorithm, based on they see me buying six bottles of wine when I go to the grocery store, you know, like something crazy like that, the implications of it beyond what goes on on these social media platforms is vast and incredibly worrisome, like humans tracking humans, not having, not really having the freedom to, to move about and live your life freely. Um, is something that I never really thought about before, but we've seen it in history, you know, during the Holocaust, they used to mark Jews. They used to, um, you know, tag slaves. Um, it, it's, it's really, really scary. And, um, I just, you know I think that she's brilliant I have her name probably not pronouncing this correctly her, the researcher's name is Joy Bulamwini Mwin, Bula so she's fascinating I'm really excited to see the work that she does in the future and um if you're interested go check
1: it so out so basically we're basically in a really really bad season of Black Mirror <laughs> oh
0: god yes damn <laughs> Absolutely. There was a
1: meme a while ago that was like, surprise, this is the active <laughs> ep- season of Black Mirror last year in 2020.
0: <laughs> yeah, instead of it being scripted, it's now an official documentary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Alex, for yeah. that recommendation. I gotta check it out. Definitely wanna check it out.
1: It's really good. All right, so mine is goofy. It's also I
0: love Goofy. It's also a
1: movie because, like, what else? You know, movies, movies, <laughs> movies. Um. So yeah. So mine is a silly movie, and it's called Bad Trip. Um. It was written by on uh, Eric Andre, who oddly enough is dating Ros- Rosia Dawson
0: weird rosario yeah rosario
1: dawson or whatever but anyway neither here nor there i just thought that was weird because she was dating uh cory booker and they kind of she got a she got a type anyway um but uh it's brilliant honestly um it's kind of like a borat situation where they like play tricks on these people um but they're, they're like insane pranks and like they get these real like reactions from these people and it's different from Borat because like the second Borat was kind of like an interview style they were saying oh we're doing a documentary and Bad Trip is more like hidden cameras so uh, it's completely fucking wild sorry it's gonna be an E on this episode it's completely (laughs) it's wild I don't know how people don't know who Little Rail is and Tiffany Haddish but they're also in it Um, and then at the end they show you that they do like different they do like different takes with different people and then they just pick the best one. And it's a storyline in between them. So it's kind of like a jackass, but like, instead of just like stupid ass shit, it's just like, it's a storyline in it. It's so cool. Uh, If you're looking for something light and fun, it was, it was hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing the
0: entire time. So. I love it. Um, Did you, okay. So you're actually the second person to tell me to watch this. So I have to watch it this week. But I was also told maybe it'd be even more fun with an edible. So did you smoke or did you do an edible when you watched this? So funny enough, I did not.
1: Um, I recently quit weed um, because, and I think this is important. Everybody should know because I didn't know. Uh, There is kind of like some kind of like disease you can kind of get from weed, which I never got diagnosed. I was told from a doctor that that might be what happened. But it's kind of like a like a stomach issue where you like constantly throw up. I didn't throw up, I didn't experience the throw up. So I didn't get the disease, but it felt like it was leading up to it where I was being very nauseous and like sore stomach, uh, couldn't get out of bed. So, I mean, I I could get out of bed, but every time I got out of bed, it hurt. So I uh, recently quit weed, I don't know for how long. Um, Right now I'm just gonna push for a year and see what happens. But if you, do indulge in we i would definitely try an edible first <laughs>
0: <laughs> so well it's good to know this thing is funny as hell with or without yeah. <laughs> to- <laughs> totally sober <laughs> we need some light funny yeah. stuff in our lives for sure yeah uh, well thank you i'm i have a lot to do this week and i'm excited yeah. those were good gifts yeah you give me all the love. Yay!
2: Thank you for listening to Callie Made Us Do It. If you liked our episode, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment. It will help in the charts. You can follow us on Instagram at Callie Made Us Do It. We'd also like to thank Robocop for our theme music. Callie Made Us Do It is edited and produced in-house by the three of us: Jodi, Kristen, and Alexandra. See you next week with our next episode.